And we're going to read together from Leviticus 19, the verses 1 through 18. Often when we think of, when we talk of the the law of God, we think about the the Ten Commandments, which we read earlier in our 2 p.m. service. But there were, in fact, many commandments given in the Bible, as many given as part of the Old Covenant, which were summarized in many ways by the Ten Commandments, but which are worth our consideration still today. For we see through these various commandments the different ways in which we are to love God and love those around us. Let's read from Leviticus chapter 19, beginning verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his father and his mother. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your neighbor or brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We'll stop reading there. I invite you to join me in singing a psalm that's focused especially on the law of God, on God's commandments and statutes. That's Psalm 119. We'll sing the verses 7, 8, and 9. Oh, 
This afternoon, we are looking at Lord's Day 2 of the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the confessional statements you have here at Sardis Church. We're going to be looking at what we confess, especially concerning the the topic of sin and concerning God's law. We read there, From where do you know your sins and misery? We answer, from the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. That's something we confess. Beloved in Jesus Christ, How do we know right from wrong? How do we determine what is good or what is evil? I remember uh, attending a debate during my university days at UBC, University of British Columbia. It was a debate there on the topic of pornography. And on one side, you had a debater who was arguing against pornography Proposing it ought to be made illegal. He pointed out in great detail how his life was negatively impacted by an early addiction to pornography. He went over all the ways that it hurt him. It hurt his future relationships, especially his future relationship with his wife. The impact it had on him. And his opponent in the debate essentially responded by saying, 
well, sure, if you get addicted, it's a bad idea, but then it's just, it's just a bad idea for you. Doesn't mean it should be made illegal for anyone. Perhaps other people's, you know, they won't experience negative things as a result. People should decide for themselves whether something is good or bad for them. And I suspect that that is a message that many of us have heard from people in our society on all sorts of topics. That people should just decide for themselves whether something is right or wrong based on on how it impacts them personally. It's like if something works for you, it's good. If something hurts you, well, maybe that's bad for you, but, but not necessarily for other people. Maybe you steer clear, but other people can just decide things for themselves. I often said it's up to us as individuals. But I suspect that many of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we know it is not that simple. We know that God claims us as his children, and, and as part of his family, he gives us guidance and direction in how we are to live. And if we look at the guidance and the direction that he gives us, we see it doesn't just boil down to what works for you is good and what hurts you is bad. Because when God lays out his law for us, he focuses first and foremost on how our actions impact our relationship with him and how our actions impact our relationships with, with other people. How our actions impact us are almost, in a sense, secondary. Because our actions and our attitudes are to be determined to be impacted by love. And love is something which is never just focused on the self, but always something which is focused on the other. As followers of Jesus Christ, we aren't just told to do what is right in our own eyes. We don't decide what's right or wrong. But rather, we are to look at God's law and his standards. So that in our actions and behaviors, we are not just determining what our own lives are like. But we're impacting what our relationship with God is like. We are impacting how other people will experience this life. And how their relationship with God might be impacted. Our human tendency is to look at what we do. Look at how we're kind of currently living. Make that the standard. I think our natural human inclination is to decide for ourselves what is right or wrong based on what is easier or harder for us to do. Because, you know, I've met Christians who are horrified by the sexual conduct of other people. 
but who freely make racist remarks without a second thought. I've met Christians who are quick to call out their neighbors for blasphemy, but have nothing to say about drunkenness within their own families. See, inside and outside the church, people very quick to condemn the sins that they don't really wrestle with. That aren't the hardest for them to deal with themselves. While being rather slow to focus on or address the sins which have a hold on their own soul. As human beings, it's very easy for us to approach the topic of what is right or wrong in a way that makes things easier for us. We should not simply trust ourselves to know what is right from wrong. And that is not just because we are often blind to our own moral failures. I believe we ought to recognize there is no innate moral code which, which human beings naturally possess. And we can say people do in some sense all possess something of a conscience, even if it is flawed because of the result of sin. You know, you go to almost any human society and there will be some conception that, that certain actions are okay and other actions are not. But what exactly those actions are can differ widely. To the ancient Assyrians, it was perfectly reasonable to impale your enemies on stakes and flay them alive as a message to those who might oppose you. The ancient Greeks were generally accepting of sexual relationships between adult men and Adolescent boys. They're a little bit more varied when it came to same-sex relationships between adults, but they were totally okay as a culture when it involved grown-up men and young boys. The Romans didn't think there was anything wrong with having people fight to the death in the Colosseum and the numerous other amphitheaters of the empire for people's entertainment. None of those things would fly in Canada today. But once upon a time in their own cultures, people didn't widely see them as wrong. No one really protested the gladiator games until the Christians came along. Maybe you didn't know that, but one of the, the ways in which the Christians first distinguished themselves from their pagan neighbors is that they believed attending the gladiator games and watching people kill each other or be put to death for sport was wrong against God's expectations. It's very tempting for us to think, 
Well, if we just kind of live like the people around us, certainly we must be doing the right thing, the good thing. No? But I think if we look at ancient cultures and some of the practices they had, some of the things they tolerated and thought were good and right, we might be a little bit slower to think that our own culture is capable of giving us perfectly clear directions on what is right or wrong. Now, many people today, I have no doubt, consider themselves to be good people because they follow the laws of the land. People figure, you know, I've never been in jail, put in prison. I've followed the law. Doesn't that mean I'm generally kind of a a good person? It's easy for us to think that, well, maybe God's standards are just kind of like the standards we have for each other. I wonder if you considered how many of the Ten Commandments are required in Canadian law. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Three out of ten, say? And even then, the law of the land really only touches on the most blatant violations of these commandments. You know, if you outright murder someone, or perhaps are guilty of manslaughter, but hatred, what you might feel in your heart certainly isn't covered. Physically taking something that belongs to someone else is illegal. Lying in a court of law will get you in trouble, but, but you can be a greedy person in so many ways in our country and get away with it. You can gossip and slander against all kinds of people without having to worry that you'll be sued for it, held to account. We can't simply live by the laws, the land. If we are people who want to live in in step with God, to, to do the things he declares are right or wrong, as the one who has made us, as the one who sees all things, governs all things, we need to recognize the the limitations of, of what we as human beings so often expect of each other. We need to be looking to the law of God, that law that calls for perfect love. We might have a reminder that what is truly good, what is truly right is beyond us. As Christians, it's important for us to not just consider what we think or feel is right, or consider what the people around us think is right, but we're to look at the law of God that we might truly know what is right. And it's not just to have higher standards but so that it might all be clear or clear in all of our minds that there are some standards of goodness that we are never going to achieve. We're never going to fulfill. 
We need to know the rules, as it were. Not because knowing the rules can save us, but because knowing the rules teaches us to seek help, to seek assistance. Knowing the rules teaches us to ask for forgiveness, to repent because of all the ways that we fall short. Knowing the rules drives us to Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. Now, why do we, you know, in so many Reformed churches, read the law of God every Sunday? In part, so that we are constantly reminded that God has standards. Standards beyond us that his son had to carry out on our behalf. Standards for how to live out of gratitude. Now I get that one difficulty we encounter in seeking to, to follow the law of God is that it isn't always clear, even having God's law, what to do. Now if you spend any significant amount of time reading the laws of God in books like Leviticus or Deuteronomy, you will notice there are commands there that we no longer obey in a literal sense. I'd say, well, do we have to follow these laws as well? What laws all apply to us? Now in Leviticus, God tells us, the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. But I suspect that most of the Christian employers in our midst do not pay their employees on a daily basis. Probably, you know, once every two weeks, maybe once a month. And as far as I know, the Christian farmers in our midst do not leave some of their crops in the field for the poor or the immigrant or the refugee to come by and collect. And I recognize as a result, sometimes we wonder, are we guilty of just kind of picking and choosing what parts of the law to, to put into practice to carry out? But here, of course, the catechism gives us some helpful direction by pointing us to the heart of the law and reminding us what Christ taught in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. How do we follow the law of God? A critical way is to ask, how can we love God, love those around us? And with this summary, Jesus didn't bring new laws. He simply revealed the heart of the law. He gave us a critical insight into why God gave, you know, so many of the rules and the laws found in the Old Testament— He helps us to understand why so many rules and commandments remain important for us, even though they do not save us. 
That's because we are now in a relationship with a God who wants us to be loving beings, beings who love him and love those around us in all the things that we are doing. Sin is not a popular word these days. A lot of people around us are not particularly comfortable if we we talk about, you know, sin. So perhaps it's up to us to explain to them that when we are talking about sin, what we're really talking about is a lack of perfect love. Now, we love ourselves so often more than we love God who made us or the other people that God made in his image who are equal to us. And so we fail to treat them or think of them as we should. Sometimes the law reminds us of the extent to which we can be you know, needlessly hateful and cruel. You can think about how God tells his people in the law, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I think at times that we ought to spend a little bit more time in the the various laws of God. And considering especially how they teach us then to uphold the ultimate standard of loving God, loving our neighbors. The various laws of the Old Testament can seem a bit strange or even random to our modern ears, but they were all, in their own ways, just teaching people about that heart of the law. God commanded his people to pay hired workers at the end of every day because those workers needed that money to be able to eat that night. God didn't want a situation where someone had to work for, say, two weeks and be starving the entire time. Before they would finally get a paycheck and be able to have some food. You didn't make a lot working for someone else back in those days. Hired workers were generally the poorest members of society. They wouldn't have had a lot to fall back on. Ensuring they were paid every day ensured they could eat, not go to bed hungry, be able to work the next day. It was a command that sounds a bit random to our ears, paying people end of each day, but it was something out of love. God commanded the people to leave some of the harvest in their fields. It gave the poor and and others who were in need a way to provide for themselves in the midst of an economy in which there was no, you know, government social safety net of any kind. And it allowed them to do so in a way which could give them a sense of dignity. They weren't kind of just being handed what they need, but they had that opportunity to go out, to collect, to be like others. So, in a sense, provide for themselves. Now, when it comes to the various laws, especially in the Old Testament, you'll find that, yes, we do things differently a bit today as Christians. We don't insist that Christian employers pay their employees daily. But we do continue to note the importance of Christian employers paying their employees in a generous and merciful way. And if you're a Christian employer who has employees who are flat broke, perhaps you might consider trying to pay them in a different way out of love. We might not insist that the Christian farmers leave part of their harvest in the fields, 
but we encourage them, we encourage all of us to give to support the poor, to support the needy who are among us. We do not always practice the commandments, the Old Testament, in an identical fashion, but the same underlying principle is there, and it still calls to us. It still shows us how to live in harmony with our Maker. Much has changed between the Old Testament, the New. The physical temple of the Lord is gone. The animal sacrifices are no longer necessary. The people of God are no longer primarily found within a single nation or state. There's a lot of things that have changed between what we read about in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and what we experience today. But the calling to love God with all our hearts, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, that remains. That is a timeless standard we are given by which to evaluate all that we do. When we think about what is right and wrong, we need to be considering it with that background knowledge of through these actions, we are seeking to always love God, love God our neighbors. Now to be clear, we are not saved by this law. None of us are going to be saved because we are better at keeping the law than others. In Romans 3.23, Paul warns us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are times when unbelievers who do not know the law are better at doing what the law says than those who believe and hear the law every Sunday. In truth, many Christians have only begun to be transformed. Many of us have only begun to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We have a lot to learn about what it means to truly love God and love our neighbors. The Apostle John would warn believers, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It was John, the disciple Jesus loved. The disciple who would be instructed to take care of Mary, Jesus' mother. The disciple, we might say, who had, as far as we know, the, the best spiritual track record. we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. None of us are going to keep the law perfectly. None of us are going to be saved because we were just so good at it. For we all need Jesus Christ as Savior. We all need his blood to wash us clean We all need him to serve as our ultimate sacrifice, someone who mends the rift between us and God, someone to make up for the fact that we are not going to keep the law to perfection. I'll warn us all, none of us are going to stand before God on our own 
merits. There is no human being who is going to get into heaven or get into the new Jerusalem based on the things that they alone have done. If you sit here thinking, I'm a good person. I deserve to go to heaven if these other people deserve to go to heaven. You really misunderstand what our faith is all about. For our faith is all about people recognizing that in Jesus Christ alone we have someone who has done the perfect thing, been the perfect person. Our goal as Christians by faith is to be found in him for that reason. We want to be in him. We believe that being in Jesus Christ is more valuable than all other things because in him alone you have someone who has kept the law to perfection for the benefit of others. In him alone, there is an ability for us as sinful human beings to be righteous, right with God. Study God's law. Study that call to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Study the Ten Commandments, which expand on that. Study even the Old Testament laws, which which take those commandments and, and make them even clearer, more broad, which specify the different ways to keep them. But while you do that, rejoice that God isn't looking for you to measure up to those standards. Rejoice, for God has done what the law, weakened by our human flesh, could not do. Rejoice that by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that is, in sending his own son as a human being and for sin, God has condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We cannot keep God's law well enough. We cannot be good enough, right enough, to earn salvation. But we can receive it freely in Jesus Christ. We can share his perfection, his righteousness, have it be seen by God as our own. If you want to please God, if you want to thank him for the eternal salvation he gives, live as he desires to live. Be willing to read and reflect on his commandments, his standards, Pay attention to what God calls right or wrong. But don't think it's on you. Don't think it ever becomes your performance. Don't ever think that these laws 
are the things you need to get perfectly right to earn his love, to earn his salvation. He knows they're out of reach. This is why he has sent to us the Savior who is in reach. Simply by faith, by belief in him. Amen. If you're able, please rise. We might sing together Psalm 19, stanzas 5 and 6.